1: Hello everybody, welcome to Best on the Board, the athletics sports betting podcast. Michael Bellard here with you. It is Friday, September 3rd, college football season underway, NFL season right around the corner and of course we are very pumped up about all of that here on Best on the Board. On Fridays we are typically going to be focusing back on the NFL world and to do that every Friday I will have with me. KC Joiner, you know KC well from all of his time at ESPN. You also know him from the Football Scientist. Check that out at thefootballscientist.com. And this year, we are lucky enough to be having KC doing a ton of fantasy football work for us at the Athletic. KC, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining me here. Hey, fantastic to be here. It's going to be fun. This is going to be a lot of fun. You and I are going to get to do what I think. <laughs> is going to be the most fun episode. All right, Mondays, we're look, taking an early look <laughs> at lines ahead, the week ahead, and we'll talk some Monday Night Football. Thursday, we're going to get into Thursday Night Football, and we're going to get into a lot of college. But Friday, looking at the lines that are coming up on Sunday, just 48 hours away, that's going to be, I think, a lot of fun. We'll get into lines, we'll get into totals, we'll get into sides, we'll get into player props. We're going to really touch on everything. But that is for next week. For this week, obviously, no (laughs) NFL games, so we've got one more day, one more week to talk about NFL futures, and so that's what you and I are going to do here today. We've got three picks apiece that we are going to dive into on this episode of Best on the Board, and I'm going to let you kick things off. You've got an Offensive Rookie of the Year pick. I've got a Defensive Rookie of the Year pick. Give us the case for Najee Harris at plus 1,000 to win Offensive Rookie of the Year.
0: Think about it. The Steelers wanted James Conner to be their bell cow for years, and it didn't work out for them. He is not able to handle that kind of workload. Alabama asked Harris to do the same thing, and he set a multitude of career records there. The offensive line for the Steelers—they replaced Pouncey, and they replaced De Castro. I broke down all the Steelers' rushing game uh, plays last year, and those were two of their worst blockers on the team. They just were not very good. If they get even average play out of their replacements, I'm not talking good play. I'm not talking Pro Bowl caliber. Just average blocking performances out of those guys. Their blocking is going to be a whole lot better. The team wants to run the ball a ton. From the owner on down, they've said we want to run the ball more this year. In fact, coming out of camp, that's all they were pretty much talking about. Add that to Harris when he was a junior at Alabama, he caught seven touchdown passes. It's the Alabama single season touchdown record for running backs, and it's tied for ninth most among players at any position at Alabama. You're talking that type of productivity and this type of offense, and does the Steelers make the playoffs, which I think they will. He's going to get plenty of national TV exposure. He's going to get plenty of post-season exposure. Add it all up, and it's like, I think that there's a lot of reasons to think he'll do that well, and I look at Lawrence the favorite for Rookie of the Year? And I look at him and I go, okay, he didn't even get all the reps and practice for Jacksonville this offseason. I don't like the receivers around him.
1: I don't like a lot of their situation. I don't think he's as much with as people think. Yeah, you know, something we love about Najee Harris in the fantasy world, and certainly for this, is volume, 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 and every single season uh, under Mike Tomlin. I mean, you can go back to just recently James Conner, Le'Veon Bell before him, D'Angelo Williams, sandwiched in between them when Le'Veon was either suspended or injured, all the way back to Willie Parker in those first few years of Mike (laughs) Tomlin being in Pittsburgh. He is a coach who has always had one true running back. Najee Harris is going to be that guy for them this year. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence as someone who you're not necessarily intimidated by here. He is the favorite at plus 350 and it's all quarterbacks at the top Mac Jones plus 500 Justin Fields plus 700 Trey Lance plus 750 Zach Wilson's plus 900 and then you get Tanaji Harris is there anyone who you view as a the biggest threat to Harris in this and it could be one of those quarterbacks or maybe it's Kyle Pitts one step down at 11 to 1.
0: Uh, and Kyle Pitts would be very good because they're going to use him all over the formation down there. Um, it's tight end, though, so they don't tend to, he'd have to score 10 touchdowns in or, order to win this, yeah. I think, which would be tough for him. Fields would be a guy if he can get in there. That's the thing about the rookies. I don't think that Trey Lance is going to be a full time starter. I think they're going to go with Garoppolo and mix Lance in there. And you've know, got the same thing with uh, uh, with Justin Fields. I mean, he should be the starter, frankly. He's the most impressive guy in camp for a lot of reports, so he should be, but he's not. And if you're only playing, say, 12 games, only starting 12 games and Harris are putting in, say, 17, it's a big difference.
1: Yeah, it it totally is. And I think that that's something where we're really going to have to look at some of these quarterbacks. uh, Maybe a little bit askance as it comes to winning the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Let's get over to my first future for this episode. I'm actually going to take us into a team bet. I like the Bills to win the most games in the NFL. 7-1 to is where you're getting them at. One of the favorites in this category, as they should be. And they're going to be favorites pretty much across the board whenever we're talking about team bets. Right there with the Chiefs and the Packers and the teams that we expect to be competing for the Super Bowl once again this season, but here's why I like the Bills. First of all, 13-3 and three a year ago, and I think they should be back in that range this season, and that's always going to have you among the league leaders in wins. But then I look at the rest of the schedule. I'm not really afraid of their division. I think the Patriots could be a little bit better. I think the Jets should be a little bit more competent than they were last year with some of the changes that they've made on the offensive side of the ball and getting that line healthy, but it's still a relatively soft division behind them. Then you look at who else they get in the schedule. They play the AFC South, a division that, you know, beyond Tennessee, I'm not too intimidated by and also that Tennessee defense has a lot of question marks around it. Again, it's a a team that I think the Bills should be able to rack up plenty of points against. When you look at their crossover into the NFC, they get the NFC South. Atlanta, not a team we're going to be too scared by. Carolina, I think they're a little bit better this year, but again, it's not the hardest division to have to play. Their other crossover game comes in week three against Washington That is at home, another game where the Bills are going to be relatively comfortable favorites. And so I just don't see a ton of trouble spots on their schedule that would make me think that suddenly this 13-3 team is going to be very good again, but maybe very good as an 11-6 team or a 12-5 sort of team. I think 13 wins, once again, is the bar for Buffalo to be hitting this year. And so I like making that sort of bet. I like that I can get a 13-win team Not as the favorite. That definitely has a ceiling to be a 14 or a 15 win team. Can you poke any holes in my Bills argument? The only thing I'd say is that they've got Pittsburgh. They've got Kansas City. They've got the
0: Colts. They've got Tampa. And that's probably their four toughest games they're going to have to go at least two and two in those games. They really, because you know, obviously they're going to be able to go 13 to four. If they don't go at least two and two in those games, that would be the only place I think they would stumble. Because I think, I agree with you, on the rest of the, the, the schedule, it's really favorable. Miami's probably good, and they can probably still mm-hmm. go. They might have to go five and one in the division, though, too. If they don't go at least two and two in there, they've got to go at least five and one in the divisions. So as long as they can match one of those two, either five and one in the division or two and two against those really tough foes, I think it's a pretty good deal.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it definitely the, thing, the boxes you have to check, right? I mean, it's just what you have to do. If you're going to leave the NFL in wins, you're going to have to beat the best teams that you play. You're going to have to dominate your division. I think it's something the Bills can do. Honestly, the one thing that gives me pause is the fact that they've been so vocal about not wanting to get vaccinated. And, I mean, if someone <laughs> gets COVID in that locker room and we're talking about key guys missing a game or two games or something, that could be the difference between them and the Chiefs having the most wins or them and the Bucks having the most wins. So it's definitely something to worry about, but it's one that I am comfortable going after after Bill's most wins, plus 700, on BetMGM. Let's get back to a couple of player picks, and we'll go back to you. One of the big acquisitions of this offseason, arguably the biggest acquisition of this offseason, was the Rams making a trade for Matthew Stafford. What are you looking at when you look at this passing game? When I look
0: at the passing game, I mean, Sean McVay's offense is in his four years of the Rams. His offenses are ranked in the top 10 in passing yards three times, the top eight in passing touchdowns twice, and the third in passing attempts once. That's what Jared Goff, and we could tell by the end of the tenure, McVay doesn't trust Goff to throw the football anymore. He just yep. doesn't think that this is my quarterback. You hear what they're saying about Stafford. Wow, he's a leader. He's the, all, the whole team is rallying around him. In fact, McVay is saying that he makes all five players eligible, which I think is McVay's way of saying when I call plays for Goff, there are only a couple of guys who I thought he would be able to throw to, and now I can call a play for Stafford, and then my entire offense is available to him. I think they're going so to be a pass-heavy team, I think that uh, their their offensive line worries me, but they were Mm -hmm. 11th pass pressure rate allowed last year, and they're bringing most of their offensive linemen back. So long as they can stay healthy up front, okay, I think they can get quality blocking. Stafford, even though he has the injury issues, he's played 16 games in 9 of the past 10 seasons. And with uh, Cup and with Woods, they've got one of the best 1-2 receiver combinations in the league. So I'm looking at all that going... All right. Do I think he could, could could he, again, they've they've been the the top eight in touchdown passes with Goff. Do I think they can improve upon that? Yeah. And I think there's an upside there if Stafford plays all 17 and they get a lot of shootout games, which I think they might. I'm looking at going, I could see 35 touchdowns out of him. And I think that could lead the league. So I love the idea of getting plus 1800 on that kind of upside.
1: Yeah, I like the number here because you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven quarterbacks who have shorter odds on BetMGM to lead the league in passing touchdowns than Matthew Stafford, Mahomes, Brady, Rogers, Russ, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert. All of them are shorter odds than you've got Matthew Stafford at eighteen to one. My question to you would be. Typically, when we see a quarterback lead the league in passing touchdowns, he's got one receiver who catches 14 or something like that. Last year, it was Devontae Adams with Aaron Rodgers throwing for 48 touchdowns. Is there someone like that in L.A.? Or is it going to have to be, you know, nine for Cup and nine for Woods and eight for Higby? Is he going to have to do it by this committee approach? Maybe get, you know, pop five big plays down the field with Deshaun Jackson. Is that really more what you're looking at? Or do you think one of these guys can be a 13 or 14 touchdown guy?
0: I think the idea that they have uh a number of receivers again they got five eligibles he'll be able to get there so I think it is going to be a split between a bunch of players having said that uh Robert Woods last year he led the club in receptions and was tied for the league in receiving touchdowns in the red zone so he's a guy who you can use in close people think of him as this dink and dunk receiver I mean he's he's he does he's led them in vertical receiving yards he topped the league team in vertical receptions last year he's only missed one game in the past 3 years I I'm looking at this going, Woods is a guy who in fantasy football, I've got him as a, a wide receiver one, which is higher than most people have him. I love his schedule there too. So I think of the people who could catch 10 touchdowns, he would be it. But I don't think this will be a Green Bay style offense where it's you funnel, you've got one guy who's just going to rack up 14 or 15 touchdowns and then the rest of them pitch in. I think it is going to be a situation where you're going to see everybody catching a number of touchdown passes and you may end up having the top three guys getting 25, 30 between them, but you're not going to see it one guy funnel it through. But that's part of what I like about it is he's got this group of people who he could throw the throw passes to so if somebody does miss a game or two they could just funnel passes elsewhere
1: Early on this summer for our Fantasy Football Podcast and talking to all of our beat writers, I remember talking with Jordan Rodrigue about the Rams and the first thing she said, Sean McVay's favorite phrase this summer, activation of eligibles, and that they're doing that with <laughs> Matthew Stafford, you said, in a way that just wasn't on the table with Jared Goff. I am actually, for my next pick, going to uh, stick in Los Angeles. I'm going to go to the other team, however, just like Brandon Staley went from the Rams over to the Chargers. He brings that defensive mindset to this Chargers team. And what do they do? They go out. They use a first-round pick on Asante Samuel Jr. And I just see a player who I think Brandon Staley looked at this draft season and said, right there, that guy can be my Jalen Ramsey. He can be the guy who does that for us in this defense. And so that's why I'm taking the shot here. It's I, I think he found the right coach. I think he found the right system that is going to um, emphasize his talents because it's hard for a DB to win defensive rookie of the year. You're going to need seven or eight interceptions. Let's just be realistic about it. You're going to need the stats. You need a statistical story to tell to win any sort of award. And so for a DB, that means getting a lot of interceptions. And occasionally we see DBs be a little bit too good, right, to get those interceptions because quarterbacks don't want to challenge them. But I do think that Brandon Staley uh, went after Asante Samuel to be the anchor of that secondary, that secondary that has had so much talent, but just has had a lot of trouble staying healthy and so I look at that and I see some upside here and then really what puts me over the top I'm not gonna lie KC of course it's the number of course it's getting that 40 to 1 number on Asante (laughs) Samuel I just don't think that 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 reflects exactly just how important he can be and just how possible this is for him to win because you look at some of the other defensive rookie of the year candidates you find Micah Parsons at plus 600 Quiddy Pay at 9 to 1 you just see guys who are so much higher I mean even Patrick Sertan Coming in at twelve to one, a DB who is much much higher than him on this chart, going all the way down to forty to one, really gives you a a nice shot at some big payday on a guy who has the ability to get six or seven or eight interceptions on a good team and can tell that sort of narrative that we always know is going to be at play for a guy to win an individual award. So this is as much about the number as it is the player, but I think the player's in the right system to make the most of his talents. I'll take Asante Samuel Jr. I'll definitely take a shot on this at 40-1 to odds. Couldn't agree more. Uh,
0: I like the idea. I remember talking to an NFL defensive player a few years ago, and he said that for a great defense, it was about Darrell Rivas. I was talking to a former NFL player on the radio, and he said uh, that the Jets could set their defense up. You'd think of Darrell Rivas, he'd be somebody they you know wouldn't be targeting and things. They said you can set the defense up in a way to make sure you're funneling passes to your best guy. We can give them a coverage that will make them throw this way. Brendan Staley will do that. He's going to play a lot too high, and he's going to do a lot of coverages like that. But you're going to also try and test Samuel. He would be somebody you'd want to test in that secondary. He doesn't have to be the superstar in that defense either. He's got a lot of superstar candidates around him, so he doesn't have to be that guy. And if you look at what he did at Florida State, I mean, if you're looking, uh, he had— He's the second FBS player since 2000 and the first since 2003 to have three interceptions and two fumble recoveries in the team's first four games. The guy is a ball hawk, and the ball goes to him. And if he gets a, just a couple touchdowns and gets six or seven interceptions, that's the kind of thing that stands out. And it's easier for him to do that than it would be a safer quid he pay to go get
1: 10 sacks. Yeah, totally with you there. Love taking the shot at that 42-1 number. Let's get a couple more picks in here before we wrap up this episode of Best on the Board, and we are going to go to a Coach of the Year pick for you. Arthur Smith, of course, was one of the biggest off-field gets, right? The Falcons going out, bringing him over from Tennessee, and you think he can make that magic that he made happen in Tennessee happen right off the bat in Atlanta.
0: It'll be tough because he doesn't have Derrick Henry. I mean, and then mm-hmm. let's face it, that, you know, if Derrick Henry will make you look like a really good offensive quarter, no matter, I can be a good offensive quarter <laughs> with Derrick Henry. Yep. <laughs> yeah. um, but <clears throat> looking at Atlanta, four team last year, and I look at their schedule and I go, okay, they've got the Giants, they've got the Jets, they got two games against the Panthers, they got the Jags, they've got the Bills. That's six favorable games. This is a team that doesn't have four win talent. They've got more talent than four win talent. Look at those games and go. Okay, well, let's just say they get lucky and go four and two in those games. Not to say lucky, but I mean three and three is what they should go. That should be the floor. What you should do against that type of competition. If they go four and two against that competition, all right. Now they've got eleven games left. They go five and six in the rest of the games. They get nine wins. Nine wins get you in the playoffs in the NFC, likely, not guaranteed, but likely. Mm-hmm. If he takes a four and twelve team and goes nine and nine and eight with them and makes the playoffs, even if he loses in the first round. That's enough there to say okay, this is what we're looking for at a coach of the year because <clears throat> coach of the year, you're not looking for somebody who's going to, you know, you, a Bill Belichick could go 16 and 1 and win the Super Bowl, and he still might not win Coach of the Year because you mm-hmm. expect him to do that. Maybe not this year, but you know, uh, the, the general gist there. Right. If you've got expectations set for you, his expectations are generally low, and all he has to do is win nine games. And I just look at that schedule and look at he's one of the best play callers, and they got more talent. I think of what people think, a better defense than what people think. And I go, I can see him going 4 and 2 in those games, and 5 and 6 the rest of the way, and 9 and 8, wild card. And then suddenly you're a real strong candidate. And plus, at 16 to 1, that's. That's a big payoff for what I think is – I don't think there are uh, – it's a that small of a chance for him to get there. I think he's got a you know much better chance than 16 to want to get there.
1: Something that's nice about Coach of the Year is that we, we know that every individual award is going to have some narrative behind it, and Coach of the Year is the most predictable story to tell. Just like you said, find a coach of a team that you think can – overachieve based on what is expected of them at the beginning of the season. And you look at the rest of the guys who are at the top of this list, Brandon Staley, a lot of people think the Chargers are going to be good. Kyle Shanahan, we all expect the 49ers to bounce back this season after all the injuries they had last year. Bill Belichick's Bill Belichick. Kevin Stefanski, the Browns could go to the Super Bowl, and he won this award last year. Sean McVay, another Super Bowl favorite with the Rams. Brian Flores, that was a 10-win team a year ago. What could he do this year that he didn't do last year and win this award? Right? I mean, there's a lot of guys who are going to have a tougher story to tell than Arthur Smith with the one that you just painted. So it's definitely a worthwhile bet, and it's also one where you see compressed odds Brandon Staley the favorite at plus 1200 and you still have what nine nine guys inside plus 2000 and then one two three four five six more guys at plus 2000 so there's a lot of ways to go here Arthur Smith one that certainly makes sense I'm gonna wrap us up here with one more player pick it's one that I've talked about a lot on our fantasy football show I figure I might as well bring it to best on the board as well give me Alan Robinson to lead the league in receiving yards am I picking if I was just picking in a vacuum Allen Robinson to lead the NFL in receiving yards, I, I would not do that. I would pick uh, Calvin Ridley over him. I would look at Devontae Adams. I would look at Stephon Diggs, who led the league last year. And I would think that those guys are better, you know, literal bets in terms of just even money to lead the league in receiving yards. But that 22-1 to 1 is what gets me to Allen Robinson. And what puts him over the top for me are these two things, KC. Number one, he is going to dominate target share along the same lines that we expect from Stephon Diggs from Keenan Allen, um, from Devontae Adams. He's in that group of guys. Calvin Ridley, I would put in that group as well. I think it's those five guys who really should command a 25% plus target share on their teams, maybe more so than anyone else in the NFL. Number two is the familiar refrain that we've heard for Allen Robinson his entire NFL career. Never had a good quarterback. Blake Bortles, Mitch Trubisky. Uh, Nick Foles last year, Chase Daniel, his first year in Chicago. He's just never, <laughs> ever, ever had good quarterback play. And relative to the level he's been at, the best quarterback he's probably played with, I would assume, was probably number one, his high school quarterback, and then <laughs> Christian Hackenberg <laughs> at Penn State, right? Relative to the level, those are the best quarterbacks he's played with in his NFL career. And he's still done what he has done uh, as a receiver. These last two years with Chicago, with Trubisky-Daniel and Trubisky-Foles, this, the years that he has put up and the numbers he's put up have just been incredible. And so now you give him uh, almost certainly Justin Fields relatively early in the season. That's going to be a big upgrade from what he has had during his time with the Bears. And again, behind him, you've got Darnell Mooney, who we all like, but is still very obviously a number two receiver. And then... I, I don't know. Cole Komet maybe takes a step up this year, but you know, who knows? And we will see what they get out of uh, Marquise Goodwin, but you know, they cut a lot of receivers this year too. It just doesn't look like there's anyone who's really going to threaten him or Mooney as the clear number one and clear number two pass catchers in this offense. So add that all up, give me 22 to one. And it's a pick I feel very comfortable making, even though I am of course, concerned about just the overall passing volume for Chicago's offense.
0: Couldn't agree more on that one too. I mean, last year, and he's posted 150 more targets in consecutive seasons than four times in the past six years. And last year, he was placed ninth in vertical targets and 14 in vertical yards per sports tempo solution. So he's a vertical receiver. As you mentioned, I mean the Bears' best quarterback in their history. As we were just talking before the show, might be Sid Luckman, a guy who played mm-hmm. back in the '40s before any of us were even born. So even back before, before my dad was even born. So I mean, if you're talking about the kind of quarterback upgrade he could get with Fields, I I like that idea. He's a vertical threat; he'll catch a lot of other passes too. His matchup. Schedule as uh, matchup points is not that is 68 out of 100 scale on my scale, and then 100 being the best, so it's a solid, favorable schedule. Just look at a lot of the factors and again 22 to 1. Yeah, I like those odds. I think if you put fields in there, especially in week two or three, I think those odds go up even more, get and even it better. It feels him, like a good say. spot.
1: I mean, there's never a perfect spot to get a rookie quarterback in, right? Nothing's ever going to be lined up perfectly, especially with. The protection issues the Bears are just going to have in front of him this season. That's just a fact of what this team is. But it does feel like, I mean, the Rams week one, on the road, Sunday night football. If you don't want to put him in that spot, get an awfully soft landing spot week two at home against Cincinnati. And then even week three against Cleveland. You know, not necessarily the easiest spot, but one where if Dalton's played poorly for two straight games, I don't know how you don't put Justin Fields in there. So I'm thinking two and a half week is the right over under for Justin Fields. And I would take the under on that. I do think we see him week two at Soldier Field against the Bengals. That's going to do it for us here on this episode of Best on the Board. Thank you for joining us. Next week is when we really kick things up because we've got a full college slate and finally a full week one NFL slate. So we are very excited to bring this show to you next week and of course all season long. For Casey Joyner, I am Michael Beller. Thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week.